Good morning. If you're newer to Trinity, uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here as well. Uh, And this morning I get to share from what I think is one of the most powerful chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, We've been going through uh, this series on the book of Jonah for the last few weeks, uh, a short book about a prophet from the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at the final chapter and see how the story ends. But you don't have to open up for it yet. I want to take a little detour before I get into that. Um, A few minutes ago, we stopped to pray for Ukraine. And as I prepared the sermon this week, I couldn't help but try to keep up with everything that's going on over there. And I want to caveat this, that I'm not even remotely close to being an expert on global politics, so I'm going to keep this as simple as I can. Uh, But I've spent the past few days imagining what I would feel like and what kind of decisions I might be making if I lived there right now. Uh, This is a map of Eastern Europe we're going to pull up back here. And Ukraine, it's a little hard to tell the colors on there, but Ukraine is sort of bottom left center. Uh, It's in a sort of khaki color, but I don't know if you can quite tell that under the lights. And what looks really kind of dark next to it and much bigger, of course, is Russia. Uh, For reference, Ukraine is about the size of Texas. Um, It has about double the population of Texas, though, around 45 million people, as Pastor Kirk said a few minutes ago. Um, Whereas Russia is the largest country by land in the world, has about 145, 150 million people, and most experts would say the second strongest military on earth behind the U.S. Now, if you zoom out and you look at this other map, um, you'll get a little bit better of comparison for the sense of the size between those two. I don't know if you can actually even tell the difference there's a tiny change in color on the left side of that, which is orange, uh, which is Ukraine, and the whole rest of that is Russia. Now, back in 2014, um, Russia actually already invaded a southern part of Ukraine and took over part of the territory there, and for the last 10 years or so, there's been a simmering conflict between these two countries that's mostly been on the eastern border of Ukraine. And recently, Russia's been moving more and more troops uh, towards that side of Ukraine. Beginning, towards the beginning of last week, there were almost 200,000 Russian troops starting to pile up on the north, the east, and the south of Ukraine. And various European leaders started sounding alarms that this could turn into the biggest war in Eastern Europe since the end of World War II. And then, a few days ago, Russia actually started an invasion. People are losing their homes, their jobs, their businesses, everything else they know. Some people are fleeing across borders into other countries for safety. Other people can't. Uh, Many people are hiding in subway stations as a makeshift bomb shelter, uh, while others are getting injured or even killed already. And I've been wondering what I would think and what I would feel and what I would do if I lived in Ukraine right now. And I felt another country that much bigger kind of closing in and surrounding me like that. And I don't know all the decisions that I would make. I was driving the car with my wife yesterday. We were kind of going through different, what if that happened here? And I couldn't tell what decisions I would make. But I think I do know at least how I would feel. I would feel a lot of fear and a lot of desperation. And I would probably feel a lot of anger and a lot of hate too. And as I thought about that and worked on the sermon this week, and I was trying to keep up with these news updates at the same time, I couldn't help but notice that it's pretty much exactly the way that Jonah feels about the empire that God sends him to speak to. If you need a quick recap, Jonah is a prophet from Israel, and at the beginning of this book, God tells him to go and warn the city of Nineveh that they're on a path heading towards destruction. 
But Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, a massive and threatening empire that is a real danger to Jonah and his people. And so when God calls him to go there, Jonah is filled with a lot of those same feelings that I imagine I would feel if I lived in Ukraine right now. And he says, no thanks, I would rather not. He tries to ignore God and run away by getting on a boat that's heading in the opposite direction across the Mediterranean Sea, but God confronts Jonah and the boat he's on with an overwhelming storm in the middle of the ocean. Jonah assumes that God is bringing judgment on him, and when he's thrown into the sea, he expects to drown as punishment for his disobedience. But in an act of radical compassion, God rescues Jonah. God gives him a second chance, but then again tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah does. Jonah shares God's message with the people there, and in a stunning surprise, the Ninevites actually listen. They respond with deep and sincere repentance. They turn from their violent and evil ways, and then God chooses to show the Ninevites radical compassion too, just like Jonah. God forgives them and spares them from the judgment and the destruction that they deserved. And this is where we're going to pick back up the story today. We're going to reread the last verse of chapter 3 that Pastor David ended on last week, and then we're going to read all of chapter 4, but it's pretty short. So if you want to follow along, you can open up a Bible to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Or you can look up, it'll be on the screens here as well. Uh, We'll start from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, then we'll read through chapter 4. But let me pray first before we read from God's Word together. God, open up our hearts to hear you. There are so many different things I thought this could connect with and apply to in my own life at different times, Lord. And I know there are so many of those that you want to speak to each of us today. So God, as we hear your Word, as we unpack this, as we wrestle with what you say here, Lord, guide us and mold us and shape us to become the people who look like you as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And this is referring to the Ninevites. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? 
And that right there is the end of the book of Jonah. It's pretty abrupt. It almost feels like there should be more. It's a little confusing to just end there. Uh, But God challenges Jonah with this piercing question. And then it's sort of like God just drops the mic and the whole story is over. And as we look at this passage, we see how the Ninevites hear this warning from God and they respond immediately and sincerely. They repent. They admit that they've sinned deeply. They turn away from their evil actions and they beg for mercy. And God responds to that with incredible compassion, with this deep grace, with this real forgiveness. But Jonah has the opposite reaction. He gets angry really angry. And now we finally find out why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. It's not because it was a long, inconvenient, exhausting trip to walk for hundreds of miles. And it's not even because Jonah was afraid of the ruthless Assyrian empire and what they might do to him when he walked into their capital city with such bad news. No, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, the reason Jonah ran away is because he hated the Assyrians. His heart was hardened against them. And Jonah knew that as soon as he shared God's message with them, there was a possibility that they might repent and then God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want to give them even a chance at forgiveness. Jonah had already decided that they weren't worth it. He didn't even want to see if they might change their ways or open themselves up to God. And when they do, he gets angry about it. Jonah references Exodus 34, verse 6, which is one of the most quoted verses in all the Old Old Testament. It gets repeated over and over again as a reminder of God's gracious and compassionate character. But Jonah isn't quoting this to praise God. He brings this up to accuse God. Jonah thinks that God is too soft on sin, that God is too weak on justice. To Jonah, this is not a beautiful picture of God's compassion. This is a flaw in God's character. This is wrong. And over the past couple of weeks, both Kirk and David have shared a little bit at times about how merciless and bloodthirsty the Assyrian Empire was, how heartlessly they plundered and displaced other people groups, how viciously they tortured and killed anyone they wanted to, and how they were even proud of their reputation for cruelty and intimidation. The Ninevites were violent and evil, and Jonah had had enough. He was just waiting for them to finally face God's judgment. He didn't want to see God's mercy give them another chance or find out if God's grace might even change them. He just wanted to watch them get destroyed. But if you remember just a little while ago in chapter 2, when Jonah is drowning in the ocean, when he's swallowed up by this huge fish, when he's facing the consequences of his own sin, Jonah calls out for God's mercy. When Jonah has ignored God and tried to run away from him and he finds himself in such deep, dark distress, he reaches out and remembers this character of God and he hopes and prays, counting on God's graciousness. And God, with that overwhelming compassion, rescues Jonah But when God offers that same compassion to Jonah's enemies and forgives them too, well, that makes Jonah angry enough that he wants to die. Jonah thinks that God should show favoritism. God should be on his side, always ready to show grace and mercy to him and the people that he loves. 
But Jonah doesn't want God to look at all people and all of creation with that kind of compassion. There are some people that Jonah just wants to see God judge and get rid of. And when God doesn't do this, Jonah thinks that God is wrong. Because Jonah is trying to measure God's goodness by his own standards instead of measuring his own heart by God's standards. And when we zoom in on this final chapter in the book of Jonah, it's pretty glaring how angry Jonah is and how hard and closed off his heart has become. But I can imagine that there are probably many Christians in Ukraine right now wrestling with these same exact types of feelings. And I have to confess, even not living through a war zone, that I have felt about different people in my life at times in a way that is a little more like this than I want to admit. Several years ago, someone that I had a good relationship with got into an argument with one of my family members, and it escalated quite a bit, and they both stopped talking to each other for a while. And I felt defensive for my family. I ended up getting pretty angry at the other person, too, and beyond anger, I started to feel just ready to write them off. Like, I just didn't care what happened to them anymore. I was talking to my wife about the whole thing one night, and I still remember standing in the kitchen where we lived at the time, and after I shared how I was feeling for a bit, Hannah said, it sounds like you're mostly thinking of him as a villain now. And I said, yes, exactly. He's acting like a villain. <laughs> and I know that I liked him before, but now if for some reason tomorrow he just had to move really far away and I never saw him again, I would be totally fine with that. Because I was a little slow to get the point, then Hannah asked me, do you think that Jesus is looking at him like he's just a villain? And I believe my response sounded something like, uh, no, <laughs> but I don't want to look at him like Jesus does right now. And even if I did want to, I'm really not sure I could feel that way. Sometimes there are people in our lives that are hard to give grace to, who are difficult to feel compassion for. I know that I've had a few of those in my life, and I would guess that many of you probably have too. Those people that bother you, that annoy you, that make you angry. The people that get in your way, cause you problems, make life harder than it needs to be. The people that have hurt you or someone that you love. The people that you feel threatened by or just ready to go to battle against. It could be a family member or a former friend that you haven't talked to in a long time now. It might be a coworker or even a boss that you've just been building up this resentment inside over. Perhaps it's a neighbor or even another person here at church that you have some pretty big disagreements with. Sometimes we feel this noticeable anger or even this hate towards these people, but it's not always that obvious or intense. Sometimes we just don't really care for them or have any concern for them anymore. We've written them off, lost hope for them to change. We don't bother even praying for them anymore. And this can happen in different ways with individuals in our lives, but sometimes it's actually more likely to happen in the way that we approach groups of other people because it feels a little more anonymous. When Jonah looked at the Assyrian Empire, he felt like it was a simple us-against-them kind of situation. And because Jonah knew he was against those evil Ninevites, he couldn't feel any compassion for them. 
And we can face that same temptation to fall into an us-against-them mindset in a lot of different ways, too. And when we do, it makes it nearly impossible to feel compassion for whoever they are. For some of us, it might be tempting sometimes to look at other Christians who don't share the same core beliefs and values as us and start labeling them as heretics or bigots. For some of us, maybe when we look at other people that we don't understand very well from a different generation, from a different social class, maybe even from a different ethnicity, the fact that we don't understand them makes us feel threatened and we start to feel like we're against them. Sometimes our whole country feels fractured by politicians and divisive news networks constantly recruiting us into us-against-them battles. And it's easy to get sucked in when there are so many news networks and political parties and social media applications investing billions of dollars to convince you and me that everything is an us-against-them issue. But when we take the bait, it's almost impossible to feel compassion for whoever is standing on the other side. They're ignorant. They're stupid. They're evil. They're not worth our compassion. They don't deserve our grace. And so our blood starts to boil. We go off on a rant about who's to blame, or we post something on Facebook that definitely isn't going to get a like from Jesus. (laughs) And as believers living in a post-Christian culture, there's an added twist here because sometimes it can feel like everything is going in the wrong direction and living out our faith is getting more and more uncomfortable, maybe even more and more scary sometimes. Perhaps we've seen certain values in our country change over time or maybe we're afraid of losing some of our freedoms or worried that our influence is shrinking and we're getting pushed to the side. And that all makes it so much easier to look across the aisle or out at our culture and feel the same way that Jonah did about the Ninevites. We can let our hearts harden against others and lose any sense of compassion for them. And if you find yourself sitting here thinking, but Matt, sometimes they're really wrong and sometimes it really matters. I know, I don't disagree, but hang on a couple minutes and we'll come back to that. But first, I know that when I've made the same mistakes as Jonah, it usually starts when I assume that my gut instincts are always good. But I've learned that if I'm going to keep growing as a follower of Jesus, I have to keep measuring my heart against what God says is good, especially when I don't like it. And we look closer at this final chapter in the book of Jonah, we find that God's heart is so full of compassion that sometimes it actually makes us uncomfortable. And this is a theme that plays out all over Scripture. And so when I read this chapter, all these different Bible verses start popping into my head that relate to it. And I won't quote them all day, so I'm just going to share one with you. Uh, But there's this verse from Ezekiel chapter 18. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's it's just this one verse that seems to give such a clear picture of God's heart. It says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Even when we turn away from God and ignore what he says is good, even when we live for ourselves and hurt other people in the process, even when we set our hearts against God or live in a way that we could be legitimately called wicked, God looks at us. And though we could have every right to judge and condemn us, what he actually wants most of all is to invite us back into a relationship with him 
and transform us so that we can live the good lives that he created us for. This is the truly radical heart of compassion that God has for us. But it's the same heart that God has for the people that we feel like we're against, too. And when we look at Jonah chapter 4, we see this intense contrast between God's heart and Jonah's heart. And there's actually a fun play on words that relates to all of this earlier on in the book, too. Uh, when Jonah finally enters the city of Nineveh in chapter 3 and he shares the prophetic message from God, we read that Jonah proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But the Hebrew word translated here as overthrown has a double meaning. It can mean overturned, as in overthrown or destroyed, but it can also mean turned over, as in changed or turning over a new leaf. And while Jonah has his heart set on watching Nineveh get overthrown, God's heart is always first inviting us to turn in a new direction. God looks at these Ninevites, and he doesn't disagree about whether they're evil or not. But yet he still has this unimaginable compassion for them. And when they repent, he's happy to bring redemption instead of judgment. But Jonah isn't happy about this. He's furious and he storms off outside the city, waiting and hoping that they might mess up and meet the fiery finish that they deserve. God feels such compassion for these people, though, and he wants to help Jonah understand why. So God causes a plant to grow that gives Jonah shade from the hot Middle Eastern sun. But then the next morning, God takes it away, and Jonah gets all fired up again. So God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about this plant? Does it make sense for you to be so concerned about a plant that you didn't even sow seeds for or help grow? Jonah is still feeling as confident as ever. You have to respect his boldness. He snaps back, of course it is, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But then God has one more question for Jonah. And now God asks, well, then should I not have any concern for all these people that I created? And when God says, should I not have concern for these people, we could also translate that word concern as compassion. Should I not have any compassion for these people I created? And if we translate that even further, you can take this really literally, what the word says in Hebrew, and it would say, should I not have tears in my eyes for these people? That's the question that God asks. And then the book just ends. Even when we run away from God, He looks at us with tears in His eyes. And even when we feel like someone else is our arch enemy, He does keep looking at them with tears in His eyes too. Now, God still hates evil. God still burns against injustice because He knows how much it can hurt ourselves and other people around us. And that's why God still warns the Ninevites that they're heading towards destruction. But even when sharing a message of warning, God's love is still in that. And he keeps reaching out with compassion even as he's warning them. And as followers of Jesus, it can be so hard to let our hearts become shaped like his in this way. It's so hard to know that some things are wrong, that there is real evil in this world, and yet not to get filled up with hate. It's so hard to get hurt or watch someone you love get hurt and feel either that fear or that anger rise up inside of you, but yet let the compassion of Christ rise up even stronger. And with that in mind, I want to come back to what I said to hang on about a little bit earlier. When we engage with our culture, 
When we engage with politics, when we engage with the public sphere in various different ways, there is nothing wrong with standing up for what we believe is right and good. But there is a difference between doing it the way that Jonah would and the way that Jesus would. In a letter to some of the earliest Christians living right in the capital of the Roman Empire that could not have been more of a contrast to the values of Christianity, we read, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And if we take this seriously, and if we want to avoid repeating the same mistakes that Jonah made, we have to start out with the humility to ask, is my heart really right about what God cares about here? Do I need to change first? And even after we think we've done that, we can never forget that if we want to stand up for the values of Jesus, we can't fight for them in a way that Jesus never would. Jesus sends us out as missionaries fueled by his love and compassion, not as warriors fueled by our anger and hate. And one more separate but important side note just before I wrap up that I always think of when it comes to talking about radical forgiveness like this. When it comes to our personal relationships with other people, sometimes there are situations where we can be acting with compassion, the compassion of Christ, and yet we still might need some boundaries with another person. You see there's a couple verses up on the screen here. They're just a couple examples of that, and they take thoughtful interpretation and application to connect to our lives. But if you ever find yourself wondering if you need some space from another person, please don't hesitate to come talk to one of the pastors about that. Life is messy, and following Jesus is not easy. But even in all these complicated situations, is our heart becoming more like His? Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what God was asking Jonah to do for Nineveh. And that's what God has done for each of us. We were each once considered enemies of God. And Jesus didn't look at us and say, I'm right and you're wrong so you can die on a cross. Jesus knew he was right and we were wrong, but he still offered to die on a cross in our place anyway. And that's the heart of God that we see throughout this book of Jonah too. And this book ends so abruptly because when God asks this final question, it doesn't matter how Jonah answers. God wants us to read it and think about how we are going to answer. Will we let our hearts be changed to look more like God's heart? Will we have concern for the people that God has concern for? Will we have compassion for the people that God has compassion for? And will we even have tears in our eyes for the people that God has tears in His eyes for? Let's pray. God, sometimes we read your word and it's really challenging. I know that as I thought about particular situations in my life, it's not necessarily the everyday stuff, but there are times where I felt very challenged by this God. And I can go back to that instinct to want to justify how I feel or to, to think that, well, everybody feels this way when things are this extreme. 
But God, you're not everybody, and you are so different than us, and you show us such a radical compassion. And God, you don't just show us that in concept, but you show us that in the way that you deal with each of us, in the way you look at each of us too, Lord. And we are so thankful that that's the kind of compassion you have for us. But God, we ask that you would grow in us that same compassion for the people that it's hard for us to love, Lord. Grow in us that same compassion that you have so we might reflect you more and see what you do through that. We pray in Jesus' name.